last week. First, you know, just to say a few words about something else, I encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 5, verse 41. I want to read that as we get into, before we go into Romans, Acts 5, verse 41. You know, there's a lot going on in our country, obviously, and I strongly, I said this at men's breakfast yesterday, I strongly, what we need more than anything else is the gospel. The fields are truly ripe unto harvest. The fields are ripe unto harvest. And Jesus said, pray therefore, you know, to raise up workers. Jesus obviously gave us a great commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it seems counterintuitive, but the church thrives under persecution, under hard times. It seems like oftentimes we just get too comfortable I don't know why, uh, but if you look at Acts 5.41, some of the disciples were beaten and persecuted. In Acts 5.41, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. And then in verse 42, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus, that you know, Jesus is the Christ, that the Messiah is Jesus. This is after the disciples were told not to preach the gospel. They were beaten. They were in prison. They were told not to preach. You know what they said? They said, look, I have to obey God, not man. I cannot not talk about the gospel. And then as they left, they did not grumble or complain. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. And we see that all throughout the New Testament. We see it in, look at the letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And if you really study the intense persecution that they were going through, our Chinese brothers and sisters are going through a lot of intense persecution right now for the gospel. And I heard a study a couple years ago that pretty soon Christians will outnumber communists. Even though there's a total persecution on Christians in China. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, another passage for you to turn to or make a note of. You know, it says in that passage, um, 2 Timothy 3, 12. I can actually, I'll just quote it. Paul says, all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, sometimes it may not be physical persecution. It may be verbal persecution. It may take many other forms. I remember hearing Billy Graham talk about that once, and I thought, well, what persecution did Billy Graham go through? But he did. There were death threats and mockings, and he had to have security, and many, many other things that Billy Graham went through for the gospel. Uh, Chuck Swindoll. Uh, well, James Dobson, if you think of him, actually, somebody made it outside of his office, founder of Focus in the Family. Somebody made it outside of his office with a gun, fired it in the air, and they took care of him there, and he was okay. Chuck Swindoll, similar type of situation. Many Christians have gone through persecution for the name of Christ, and we need to remember that our hope is not changed. Our hope is always supposed to be on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down on the right hand of God. We have the same hope yesterday, today, and forever. We do not need to be discouraged. We need to pray, though. And I think, you know, it, it's so easy to complain. It's so easy to be negative. But the best thing we can do is pray. 
And I think every time we want to complain about any leader, it could be a state rep, governor, it could be, it could be your pastor or whoever, <laughs> instead of complaining, go to the Lord in prayer. Because that's really what's needed. And that's really what makes a difference. I encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 right now. We started a message on this passage last week as I introduced the book of Romans. And I'm going to kind of continue with that today. And I'm going to focus a little bit more on this passage. Romans is... I guess I want to say the sixth book of the New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Romans is the epistle the Apostle Paul wrote, the great treatise on salvation. This is all the theology of salvation. And in the book of Romans, we see Paul's passion for the gospel, his passion for the gospel. He wanted to take the gospel to Spain, I shared last week, and he wanted to use Rome as kind of a staging point. Imagine that in the first century, taking the gospel all the way from Jerusalem to Spain. They took the gospel to the whole known world. By the way, um, sometimes we experience chronological snobbery where we think they were not as smart back then or they, they didn't have the capabilities we have today. I think they were actually much smarter. And, you know, Galatians, I want to say it's chapter 4, verse 4, says at just the right time God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In the first century, most of the world spoke Greek, most of the known world, most of the Roman world, the Christian world, the Jewish world spoke Greek. The Apostle Paul was, gone, was able to go with the Greek common language and take the gospel and share it. Write his letters in Greek, and most people could read them because that's what they spoke. The Roman roads were phenomenal. Some of them still exist today. The Roman postal system, do you realize that when Rome fell in about the 4th century, the postal system fell, and it was not... It was not, uh, they did not, we did not get as good of a postal system until like the 1800s, maybe the 1700s. God sent Jesus into the world at this time where they had the ability to travel on these roads, send letters through the Roman postal system, speak in the common language of the day in, 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 in Greek. And that goes back to Alexander the Great, actually, in the 4th century B.C. God sent Jesus at that time. And here's the Apostle Paul, a man vehemently against the gospel, a man persecuting, killing Christians. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says he was breathing murderous threats against the Christians. And in Acts chapter 9, God got a hold of him. God got a hold of him. God said to Paul, he blinded him, he fell down. He was traveling with the group. The group's like, what's going on? I don't see anything. The apostle Paul's like, really, there's something. Well, he wasn't that. He was Saul then. He's like, there's something going on. They're like, I don't see anything. Think you're crazy. Well, he wasn't crazy. Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus. He's going to kill Christians, to hunt them down. He had letters of approval to kill him. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He wasn't persecuting Jesus, he didn't think. He was persecuting the church. But Jesus identified with the church. The church is a bride of Christ. Paul was saved, and his name went from Saul to Paul. Saul's probably the Hebrew name, and Paul the Greek name. That's likely one reason that it switched. And God called him as a missionary to take the gospel to the Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people groups. And he took the gospel to Corinth and all of these other areas, Galatia, Ephesians, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, all these other areas. And now he's writing from Corinth around A.D. 57, and he's writing to Rome. And he wants to use Rome to take the gospel to Spain. And 
He might have got the gospel to Spain. One way or another, the gospel did get to Spain, right? And eventually we know the gospel got all over the rest of the world. You know that it's likely that Thomas, who we might know as Doubting Thomas, got the gospel to India. It's amazing how God changed the world through these 12, and one was Judas, so 11 ordinary men. And of course, women were heavily involved as well, and God got the gospel out. It's powerful. The gospel is the truth serum that we need. It's the serum. It's the vaccine that we all need. In January of 1925, January of 1925, 1925, there was a city called Nome, Alaska. Nome is way far up north in Alaska. And at that point, there was a deadly outbreak of diphtheria. I've never had diphtheria. I think I was vaccinated against it as a, as a child. But the National Health Department in Washington concluded an epidemic of diphtheria is almost inevitable. And they said that meant up to 75% of the children in and around Nome could die. 75% of the children could die because of that. Well, there was a train, and the train brought a vaccine for diphtheria to a city called Nenena. In Alaska. But Nenena is in Alaska, but even though it's in Alaska, it was still 640 miles from Nome. They had to, it's January, it's January 1925 in Alaska. That sounds pretty cool to me. January 1925 in Alaska, and they have to get this vaccine from Nenena to Nome, or 75% of the children could die. So they decided to do it the Pony Express way, where they use sled dogs to take it as far as they could go and then hand off the vaccine to another group of mushers and another group, another group, another group. That's, that was the way they used for the mail. But it usually took 25 days. 25 days. And history records that the winter of 1925 was one of the worst ever with temperatures that plunged to 60 degrees below zero. Then the blizzard closed in around them. The only doctor in Nome said, all hope is in the hands of the dogs and their heroic mushers. Well, I had a Siberian Husky mixed dog, and they are stubborn. And apparently, these probably Husky sled dogs were very persistent. Because at 5.30 in the morning on January 30th, the final musher drove his dogs and the serum the vaccine, into the streets of a sleeping gnome. It took 20 men. It took 150 dogs to get it there. Amazingly, they made the trip in just five and a half days. It usually took 25 days. They made it in five and a half days with the serum needed, the healing serum needed. And by the way, what they took was the Iditarod Trail. Now, I read this in, a, in somebody's writing from Moody Radio, and they didn't come out and say, but I believe that this is what started the Iditarod competition. Anybody hear about the Iditarod competition where these sled dogs compete? But you know what? What's interesting is the Iditarod competition has become a spectator sport, right? I mean, it was started 
with something that was really needed. People really needed the vaccine. They, it was life or death. So they all came together and they got their sled dogs and their, and their people together and, and they made it in five and a half days. A normally 25-day, 640-mile journey with temperatures very cold. They made it because it was life or death. And now it's just a spectator sport. You know, it seems to me, in the writer who wrote this account, that the gospel has become a spectator sport. In the first century, the apostle Paul knew that Jesus is, is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. The apostle Paul knew that Jesus is the answer to eternal life. Jesus is the answer to the sin problem. The apostle Paul and all the other apostles knew that Jesus gives us a fuller life now and complete life later in, e in eternity. Eternal life later and a fuller life now. But somewhere along the way, the cause for which Jesus died has become, well, like the Iditarod, a spectator sport. Lots of activity, but no thought about the lives at stake. But those of us who have been saved by the serum of the gospel are responsible before God to get that serum. Get that serum to those who are going to die without it. Jesus expects the driving passion of his people and his church will be the passion that kept him on the cross to seek and save the lost. That's Luke 19.10. Jesus went to the cross to seek and save the lost. In a very real sense, we hold the eternities of other people in our hands. It's like we are on the Iditarod Trail. We need to get the gospel to people. Jesus really is the hope of the world. It really is a race for life. And that's the Apostle Paul's purpose in Romans. He's trying to build up that church, teach them proper theology of salvation called soteriology. He's trying to build up that church so that they can help him take the gospel to Spain because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Romans is all about the gospel. Romans is all about Paul getting the good news of our salvation out to the world. Paul wanted to spread the serum. The question is, do you? Do we? I want to reread Romans 1, 16 through 17. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written... The righteous shall live by faith. And I want to read one other passage which we read last week. Romans 15.20. Romans 15.20. Paul says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul's ambition was to take the gospel to the unreached people groups. Do we care about the gospel? My theme and application today is don't be ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's my theme and application. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Take the gospel seriously. Have a mission-driven mindset, an eternity mindset, an evangelism mindset. Care about the gospel. Jesus gives us the fullness of life and eternal life. He, you know, he really is way greater than a vaccine. A vaccine helps us in this life from diphtheria and that illustration or whatever other, whatever other vaccines, you know, measles or smallpox or whatever it might be. But the gospel is truly the cure for our sin problem. 
gives us eternal life, a fuller life, complete life, abundant life. Do we care? So my first point here is pray for a passion for the gospel. I want to read from 2 Timothy 2.10. You can turn there if you would like. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10. Paul says in that passage. Actually, I'm going to turn there too. So you can turn with me if you'd like. Paul says in that passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That they also may obtain the salvation that is, that is in Christ Jesus with an eternal glory. The elect are those who will be saved. Those who will, who will become Christians. And the Apostle Paul is saying right there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, for the sake of those who will be saved. I endure everything. What did Paul endure? Being stoned and left for dead, being shipwrecked, being falsely accused, being imprisoned. I mean, he wrote uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon from a prison chained to a guard. In 2 Timothy, he says he's ready to be killed, poured out like a drink offering. Later, he is beheaded around AD 67, around that time period. He endured it all because he cared about the gospel, because he wanted people to be saved. And the question is, do we, do we care? In Romans 1, 16 through 17, turn back there if you turned away from there. Paul says he is not ashamed of the gospel. Why? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's what he says. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And who are saved? Paul says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why? Salvation is from the Jews. Salvation goes back to Abraham and later on to Jesus. Paul says also the Greeks. This was a big deal in that time period. It was a big deal. The Greeks, he's including the Romans, the Gentiles, the non-Jews here. You know, that's a big deal. That Jesus came through, you know, the descendants of Abraham, through the Jewish, uh, Jewish history. And he went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And he opened salvation to everyone, to you and I here. Do we care about that? You know, does that, does that motivate us? Does that excite us? Does that cause us to worship? Does that cause us to share? In verse 17, Paul references, The righteous man shall live by faith. And this is a quote from Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. By faith, trusting in Jesus for our salvation. Now I want to talk about these two verses, verses with some applications for us. Let's make some applications. We're going to make this very practical, very personal, and hopefully something to pray about here. We must be eager to preach the gospel. Now when I say preach... I really just mean share. Preach means to proclaim. You don't have to come and stand up in front of people. And when I say preach and share, it may or may not mean actually sharing a whole gospel presentation. It might be talking about how much Jesus means to your life with someone. It might be talking about where your hope is. Why are you not afraid of death? Why do you have victory in this life? Why do you have hope in this life? Why do you have comfort in this life? Why do you have the fullness of life? It might be sharing your testimony with somebody. We do need to share the gospel with words. Unless we forget, oftentimes we do, it is a sin not to share the gospel. We are commanded to share the gospel with people. But, as we've said already, many times it's become a spectator sport. 
We must be eager to preach the gospel. Paul says he is not ashamed. And if we go back to look at verse 14, Romans chapter 1 and verse 14, he says that he is under obligation to preach the gospel to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. Isn't that interesting? He is under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish, to preach the gospel. Barbarians would be anyone who did not speak Greek. <laughs> Back in that day and age, anyone who did not speak the common language of the day, he, they, they were called barbarians. And Paul said, I am under obligation to take the gospel to them. This would be the Germanic tribes, which interestingly enough eventually conquered Rome in the 4th century. Paul was under obligation to take the gospel to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul writes, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul was compelled to share the gospel. Are you and I, are we compelled to share the gospel? Does the Holy Spirit give us this fire burning up inside? We have the fullness of life. We have the ways to eternal life. And we just have to share it. We just cannot contain ourselves. This is exciting news. Just like the Browns fans had last Sunday night. I'm sure they were texting everybody they knew. We just won our second, our first game of the playoffs. First time in 25 years. This is good news. We have to share. This is the gospel good news that we have to share? And I'm... Not making fun of the Browns, you know, they deserve it, you know. But, you know, we think of it like good news, you know, and we discover good news. We get a new job, you know, our kid gets, we, we, we have a new baby or a new grandchild or, or there's some special privilege. That's good news. We call people, we share it. Are we sharing the gospel? This is the best news. This is good news. It's something we're sharing. We must not be ashamed of the gospel, and I want to make this more personal. We must not be ashamed of the gospel at school, for those of you who are in school. Maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a student, maybe you're a college student, maybe you work in the schools. Don't be ashamed. A few years ago, there was a teacher at a school who was fired because he would not use a student's preferred gender pronoun. And in response, the Colson Center, John Stone Street, who took Chuck Colson's place, said, you know, as Christians, we have to have a theology of getting fired because those are things that, that are coming down the road. It happens to Christians all over the world. It happened to Christians in the first century, in Revelation 2 and 3, in the letters to the churches. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. We have to stand up for a biblical worldview and stand up for truth. No, we do need to do that with winsomeness and with gracefulness, full of grace and full of truth in a very, very, very loving way with prayer and discernment. We must not be ashamed of the gospel at work. We must not be ashamed in public. We must not be ashamed on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or whatever your social media, if you have any, is. And if you're not on social media, just don't even go there. I'm just kidding. We must not be ashamed at church. We must not be ashamed of the gospel at church. Now, why do I say at church? Because even churches and denominations and Christian groups are compromising the gospel. Even churches and institutions and Christian groups are compromising the Bible. Even churches, institutions, and Christian groups are compromising the biblical worldview. I shared last night, um, and maybe I've shared it before, one of my favorite new worship songs is called In Christ Alone. We've sung it here many, many times. Um, a few years ago, a certain denomination group, uh, which I won't share right now, but a certain denomination wrote Keith Getty and Stuart Townsend, who wrote that song, and they wanted it to change the song, to take out of the song, the wrath of God was satisfied. And Keith Getty and Stuart Townsend said, no, that's part of the theology of the song. 
that in the gospel, on the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. And so in that case, a whole denomination wanted to compromise the gospel. God poured out his wrath on his son Jesus on the cross instead of you, instead of me. That's powerful. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. We must proclaim the gospel. We must share the gospel. We must have a gospel mindset. Now, what do I mean by that? We must always be praying and thinking of opportunities to share the gospel. Get up in the morning and pray, Lord, let me testify today of the awesomeness of your presence in my life. And again, don't get overwhelmed thinking you have to start at the beginning of a gospel tract and end at the end. No, just think of opportunities to talk about Jesus to people. And it could be a testimony of how, you answer, uh, of how God answered your prayers. It could be a testimony of how you've observed a miracle. It could be a testimony about how Jesus is your hope. Get up in the morning and pray for those opportunities. Have a, have a gospel mindset where you recognize, where we recognize, this is applying to me too, where we recognize when we go out in the public, we have a God-given mission to be evangelists. We have a God-given mission to take the gospel to people. When you walk out in the public, remember that movie Sixth Sense? I saw it once, I'll never see it again. But there was a movie Sixth Sense, and the common line was the kids saying, I see dead people. But we see dead people too. Anybody without Jesus does not have spiritual life within them. They need Jesus. We must also recognize what I call the exclusivity of salvation, but the inclusivity of the gospel. What does that mean? The exclusivity of salvation and the inclusivity of the gospel. The salvation is exclusive. It's only through Jesus. The gospel is inclusive. It's open to everyone. The gospel is inclusive. Jesus, Jesus' free gift of forgiveness for our sins is open to everyone. But salvation is exclusive, only through Jesus. John 3, 16 through 18. I'm going to read verse 18. The one who believes in him, that's Jesus, is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Luke 9, 23, it says, Then he, that's Jesus, then Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. The gospel is open to everyone. It's open to everyone. But we must deny ourselves, take up our cross every day and follow him. He calls us to make him Lord of our life. It's open to everyone. But salvation is only by Jesus. We must recognize that the gospel represents the power of God. You realize that. We must be compelled to worship our mighty Savior. Worship him every day because in the power of God, he has saved us. In the power of God, he has set us free. We always have hope as Christians. Do you realize that? We always have hope. We must recognize that God's righteousness is revealed. That's what this passage says. We are only righteous by faith in Christ. We are only right before God by faith in Jesus Christ. Make sure this compels us to worship. A bazaar was held in a northern India village. And everybody brought their things to sell. And one guy brought a covey of quail. And he had tied this little string around their leg. 
and he had taught the quail to walk dolefully around in a circle. That's all the quail did was walk around in a circle and around and around and around and around in a circle. Well, he brings them there to sell them. And so a devout Brahmin who honored the sanctity of of every life, animals and birds and every type of life, a devout Brahmin saw that covey of quail and his heart went out to them. And he told the guy, I want to buy those quail. And he bought them. And they exchanged their money and he said... Now set him loose. The guy thought, what? You know, I've been training him to walk around in circles. You want me to set them loose? And the guy said, that's right. Set him loose. He cut the strings from off of the quail. And you know what they did? They kept walking around, right, Bobby, in a circle, the same way, dolefully around in a circle. You know, when we are saved by Jesus, we are free. Free to live as Jesus calls us to live. Free, free to serve him. Free. He calls us friends, not slaves. But oftentimes we do, we're like the quail. We keep staying in the same old habits. Jesus sets us free. He helps us conquer those habits, whether it's addictions or habits or, you know, hurts habits or addictions, whatever they mean. Jesus helps us conquer them so that we can live in freedom. We don't have to live that way. We don't have to live as slaves anymore. Slaves to sin. Slaves to unrighteousness. He sets us free. And people need Jesus. Do you see the gospel as healing serum which people need? Paul was not ashamed. He wanted to preach the gospel. He wanted to preach those who have never heard. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gospel. Lord God, I pray that what you've convicted me so much of will be driven home to the people listening and watching. I pray, Lord God, that conviction of the eternal truth of the gospel and the power of the gospel will go to all those listening. And that we would all be compelled and convicted to take the gospel and share it with others. To share it. To share the gospel. To share great testimonies how you are our, how you are our hope. We may be talking to somebody, Lord, today or tomorrow who are discouraged. And we can talk about how we have hope. We always have hope. Christians always have hope. Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We always have hope. Help us to share that with other people. We may be able to share a testimony of how you've answered prayer. And hopefully, Lord God, we can get to the actual cross of how, Jesus, you saved us and you want to save others. Lord God, if there's anyone listening or anyone watching who, are, who, who, who may not be saved... May today be the day where they confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior, where they believe that you are the one and only Savior, in which they trust in you and commit to you. And they can tell you in a simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sin and rose again. I'm trusting in you. I'm committing my life to you. Please come into my life and help me to live for you. Lord God, help us all living for you. You give us complete life, abundant life, fullness of life, and eternal life. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you have questions about God or the spiritual life, I say this almost every week. Never hesitate to ask me. I'd love to talk to you. I invite the praise team up for the closing song.